This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at upcase.com. I'm trying to figure out how to talk into the mic and at you at the same time, and it's very awkward because I don't have a fancy boom arm yet. And you're in your closet. Well, that's less awkward. Why is there a phone jack in there? Up there? Yeah. So you can take calls. Got it. Obviously. Do you not have a phone jack in your closet? I bet you do. No. No, I don't. So, <laughs> I mean, this is where all of the cable hookup and stuff is in here, too. Unless, like, Alexander Graham Bell came by during the construction of this building and put in, like, a prototype mm-hmm. phonograph, mm-hmm. there are no electronic-related things in any of my closets or in most rooms. Sounds rough. There's a distinct lack of... <laughs> outlets in this apartment and they're in the worst places right old houses always have outlets like in bizarre locations that you would never put anything is it because when people were installing outlets they didn't really understand what they were going to be used for like they didn't have a clear idea of like lamps i guess i'm not even sure they they cared Mm -hmm. i think it's just like hey there's electrical right here so (laughs) this is where you're going to get an outlet no one's ever thinking, the flow of the room would be better if the TV were here. So let's put an outlet here. <laughs> right. No one gives a shit. Right. We just had, in my last house, we just had a, there was a hole in the floor for a cable. It was like there was a coax cable just shoved up through the floorboards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can you see up here? Yeah. What am I looking at? That's an electrical outlet. That's where my computer is plugged in. Nice. For the listeners at home, it is eight feet off the ground. <laughs> hey everybody this is gordon in austin and this is mark in san francisco and this is build phase so what's up how you been good did the show last week spoke to jack for maybe the second time ever sweet how'd that go it went well i have not listened to it yet it's amazing so We're like back on schedule. We're like, yeah, we're going to record every week. All three of us do that episode. And then Jack and I do an episode and then we immediately take a week off. It wasn't, you couldn't tell based on the release schedule because it took two weeks to get that first episode out. But it was like, (laughs) all of us record, me and Jack record. So within, with, (laughs) after two weeks, we already were off schedule basically (laughs) and broken our promise to record every week. And then y'all record and Tom is on vacation this week. (laughs) So an episode isn't going out this week. It's just like, that did not take long. (laughs) That's fine. We should really just stockpile these. We should, but we tried doing that at the beginning. Remember when it was just us, like at the very beginning, we had like a running, like three or four episode surplus and it it got weird because it was like people were asking us questions that we couldn't answer for or we could answer that immediately but they wouldn't hear the answer for like another three weeks i say that like we got a lot of questions there were like two questions and it was awkward to say you'll hear it three weeks from now right so it's probably not a good excuse no and we've never been a, a new show or a, a show about topical right. things. Yeah, I'm okay with not being a news show. I guess we have been, like, we've done those WWDC episodes. 
Which actually will be this episode. <laughs> Wait, this one's going to come out? The week of WWDC. Should we just proceed as if we've already Should we just make, heard make stuff up? <laughs> just make yeah, shit up? I'm down. <laughs> yeah. Crazy week. Crazy week. Just killing OS yeah. 10 entirely. I did not see coming. Adding JavaScript mm-hmm. as a to everything. Yeah. It's yeah. The future. Nuts. They actually did that though. Because <laughs> like, they, they added a JavaScript interface for AppleScript like two years ago. So that would be less surprising if they did that. Yeah. I can't think of any more fake things. No. That was a bad <laughs> idea. That was a bad lead. That didn't go. I thought the funny things would come and they didn't. <laughs> and now I'm just sitting here. Embarrassed. <laughs> a little bit. No, recording is easy with this new home setup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to get a boom arm. I took this mic from the office. This is the mic that we bought for the road. It's good. I mean, it sounds much better here than it did in like conference rooms and stuff. But I want to get basically the same setup that we have at the office. I want to get that for here. That'll be nice because I'll be able to hook it up and just leave it installed, record here if I need to, that kind of stuff. I ended up going with a cheaper mic. Mm-hmm. But I'm pleased with it. I'm getting really good sound. Sounds very good. Sounds good. How much was that mic? Uh, I want to say just uh, a little bit over a hundred bucks. Oh, that's good. That's nice. That's cheaper than this one, even. I think this one's like two fifty. Man, it's hot in this closet. <laughs> they discovered a huge flaw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this might be a short episode. I'm in the luxury of my of my kitchen. Just want to take a look around. That's pretty nice. I guess I didn't try recording outside of this room. I could have started there and moved into this closet. I just saw all these soft surfaces and I was like, there's no way it won't sound good in here. Right. Except you're actually in a tiny room with exposed walls. What is it? Echoey? A little How, bit. What, is, what does that do? Is it really? It's not as bad as when we recorded all three of us a few weeks ago. Right. That was horrible. This right. is pretty good. Anyway. I guess we should talk about real stuff. Although, I need to check the Astros were losing to the Diamondbacks. How's your week been? Uh, it's going fine. Would I'm you inject? A new, oh, we talked about dynamism in Swift and Objective-C. Ooh. Um, I'm excited it was a to lot hear of, that. It, it was actually just a lot of Jack talking about how horrible C++ is or was. <laughs> That's a sure. good amount of the episode. Cool. Uh, no, I'm... I'm I'm writing a new passcode implementation. How many of these have you written now? This will be number two. <laughs> I thought there was a third in there. Well, I started this a few months ago and I had to mm. shelve it for a while, but now it's mm. back. Okay. Okay. And I'm probably thinking of this as being the second one and the third one. Yeah. Yeah. How's that going? It's coming out really nice. Yeah. Lots of interfaces. Everything's decoupled nicely. I feel like I've reached a, a good spot of of thinking protocol first, interfaces first. And coding around that, and that's going pretty well. I have to integrate this into two apps with different UIs. So that sort of necessarily led to almost completely distinct components between the UI and storing things in the keychain and the sort of object that mediates the two that can be used by other code. It's going good. Cool. Is there anything interesting to talk about on that? Not cool particularly. Tricks. No, <laughs> not really. We use auto layout for everything. So animations are a little trickier than they have to be. Mm-hmm. 
So typically everything that I'll animate these days is like animating on the layer and leaving the view completely intact. So as far as auto layout is concerned, everything's fine. I'm actually just moving the thing that's getting drawn on screen. Mm -hmm. That's more or less okay. It works in this one situation where the, you know, sort of like the system passcode UI where the indicator lights light up as you're typing the code in. And if you get it wrong, it shakes yeah. and clears itself. Yeah. That sort of animation is fine because it starts and ends in the same place. So it's just purely decorative. I can't think of anything else super interesting. It's mostly just been an architectural challenge. Open sourcing it? Maybe. I'm in no, no rush to. I'd mm -hmm. like to live with it for a bit. Mm -hmm. See how integrating it into both apps goes and sure. see about open sourcing it. Sure. I've been stuck in kind of UI kit hell and I don't feel like I have anything particularly interesting to add there. We did release Swish 1.0. I guess we could talk about that. I saw Although, that. Congratulations. Thank you. Again, the timing worked out well because Jack and I talked about it. And then in the show, I was saying that we were just trying to push it out. But then we didn't. But then because that episode came out a week later, it looked like the timing was perfect. <laughs> like It looked like I got off that call and then went and we pushed 1.0 out. But it was really a week <laughs> before we got it out but yeah i think um i was happy to have that finally pushed and up and since then it's been kind of slow on the open source front nothing's really been happening with argo nothing's really happening with swish there's very little to happen with like curry or runes or anything like that it's been kind of nice honestly i've been focusing most of my time on learning not ios things because I'm trying to get away from having to deal with the UI kit nonsense that I'm currently fighting against. Explain nonsense. Is this new nonsense? No, it's the just... same nonsense that I just, I've lost patience for at this point. And I think I've said on the show that I never feel comfortable dealing with UI kit or animations or UIs. I guess it's a weak spot of mine in terms of my knowledge kind of starts deteriorating once we hit the boundaries of like ui kit more than anything more than you know trivial stuff like i've just never focused a whole lot of time on trying to wrap my head around those the way all that stuff works for whatever reason so i end up having like a lot of imposter syndrome around that stuff which just amplifies that lack of knowledge where i'll like i'll hit a thing and i won't be able to think through the problem because i get bogged down in I dislike doing this stuff and also feeling like, God, I'm a, I look like such an idiot right now because I don't know the answer to this question. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. But so on my current client project, just, you know, the first thing I'm asked to do is like add a search bar, you know, that hangs out below the nav bar and then like disappears when it scrolls and stuff. And that it like immediately starts setting off alarm bells in my head about it. Like, that it's not going to be fun to do, or, you know, that I'm going to suck at it, that kind of stuff, that I'm going to look stupid. And honestly, it's just probably something that, that has been true for a while, but I'm just fairly bored with having to solve those kind of problems at this point. Swift was very interesting to me when it came out, and still is very interesting to me, but largely, when I jump on a client project, 80% is UI level stuff, right? 
and those kind of things have just been less and less interesting to me over time. So just kind of feeling like I want to branch out. What kind of problems do you want to be solving? Lower level stuff, I think, is where I'm more more interested in. But again, that largely comes down to like let's build a framework that solves that particular problem. So like Argo. But then Argo's built, and so then that's not a problem I have to solve the next time around. So then it's like, oh, well, networking is still a pain in the ass. Or at least networking the way we wanted to do networking, or I wanted to do networking. That's still a pain in the ass. So then right swish. Now that's done, right? There's a, still another big problem, which is like testing that network layer stuff is a pain in the ass. But like that's more tedious pulling code out of existing projects and bundling it up in a framework than it is thinking through, you know, type problems and API architecture and stuff like that. So I don't know. If you could do that purely in Swift, would you? What's that? Work on projects that don't involve UI. Yeah, probably. I've thought that maybe I should get involved in Swift Package Manager more or Swift the language more, right? Because those are pure non-UI programming level things, and that's all still very interesting to me. I don't know why I haven't. Specifically, the Swift Package Manager, like, I just haven't had time, I guess, to dig into it. And then the bigger problem is that day-to-day, you know, I need to be billable for ThoughtBot, and ThoughtBot's not going to pay me to do that. And so my incentive of trying to be billable then leads me to say, like, well, I just need to make myself more flexible as a consultant, you know, which means branching out into web stuff. Which has been fun. You know, I've been playing around with Elixir and Elm and Haskell and stuff. Like Haskell is a server side language, like, you know, building web apps in Haskell, not just command line tools or whatever. And that's been going really well. That's fun. But everything has their frustrations. Everything has its annoying bits that you have to deal with or problems that you have to solve over and over again. And like, I'm not under any illusion that that's not true in one language or whatever. It's just that solving the UI kit problems and solving, you know, fighting Xcode and not being sure about the kind of crappy state of tooling in general around iOS, code signing and package managers breaking or not breaking or, you know what I mean? Just like that whole... Cocopods and Carthage are both great, but like both break in weird ways in weird times. And it's just like frustrating to deal with and they're not supported. You know what I mean? Like, and the writings on the wall that we're going to end up, if not completely replacing those, at least hopefully mostly replacing those with Swift package manager at some point. Right. All those frustrations kind of piling up on me. This is <laughs> it's real, this is not supposed to be a super depressing <laughs> episode. But like all those frustrations have been piling up on me for a while. And, you know, I'm not trying to move away from iOS entirely, but I am trying to get myself. My biggest fear is being stuck in a box as iOS developer. Right. And that's not where I want to stay. I don't want that to be all there is to my career. Not that I don't believe in the platform or anything. I'm just, there's a reason I'm a consultant. And that reason is that like I have 
ADD about this stuff and I want to solve new interesting problems all the time. And the problem is if you stay in one platform, you're going to solve the same problems on different projects, but you're not going to solve new problems over a long period of time. Right. So you mentioned Elm and Elixir and Haskell. What's the most common type of project that would be available to you at ThoughtBot? Well, Ruby, right? That's the obvious one. But a lot of our web developers have been moving towards Elixir recently. Like we've just seen a lot of movement in that direction. I think it's kind of like just the hot new thing right now. And it's a really interesting middle ground, basically somewhere between Ruby and Swift, maybe, right? Elixir is a functional language. It's immutable objects. It's actually a functional language, not like a hybrid language like Swift. It's actually a functional language. So you write functions, not methods. But it's dynamically typed. It still has a compiler, so it can still check a bunch of stuff for you. It just can't check that you're passing a type, right? You know, there's no static type stuff. It's all still duct type systems. So, but you know, there's no worrying about like spelling mistakes or calling methods that don't exist, that kind of thing. It has pattern matching, so you can write functions that match specific patterns. We were talking about this yesterday or whatever, and I sent you a text message that was a gist, and I'll repost the gist in the show notes, but it read very, very Haskellish to me, but you can write fizzbuzz using no conditional logic using pattern matching, right? So you write a function that takes three arguments the you know modulo three modulo five and the number and then you can use pattern matching to determine is it modulo three and five is it just modulo three modulo five or else print the number and you can just do that all through pattern matching without having to have any conditional logic in your program and that makes it really nice it just reads it reads really nice it feels nice I've been saying, like, it has things that are, I think, not great. I would rather have a type system. You know, I'm firmly in that camp. There is a thing where you can write these things called type specs, where you can do, like, at spec and then write out the exact same function, but using types instead of variables. And then you can run a tool called dialyzer over it, and it will check that the specs match your function implementation so like if you're calling a method that doesn't exist on the type or returning an int instead of a string but your type spec says that it should return a string you know then dialyzer can catch that are these type specs like inline tests or are these to yeah, aid yeah. the compiler no no so they don't touch the compiler at all the compiler when you actually compile it it will just ignore them entirely but if you run dialyzer as like a secondary step, it will show you where these things don't match up. And so, yes, they're basically inline tests, which seems like a nice middle ground. So Elixir is built on top of Erlang, which is interesting and kind of weird. And I don't know much about Erlang, but there's like places where you can see it leaking through. This is one of them. Dialyzer doesn't actually work that well with Elixir because it was written for Erlang. So like it's not in common use to do this because it'll give false positives and stuff like that. But it's an interesting language. Oh, the other thing it does that drives me nuts is you can do, I mean, and it makes sense because it's not a strictly type system, but you can have like 
heterogeneous lists, which I was like immediately bummed out about. It's like, oh, we're going back in that direction. That sucks. <laughs> but overall, what I've been saying to people is that I've very much not been hating it. <laughs> like, there are so many languages that I just try. I'm like, oh man, I hate every second of this. This is a miserable experience. But this one is like, oh, this is like, I can make these compromises under these circumstances. Like, it fixes enough of the things that drove me crazy about working in Ruby, right? Not having that just first compilation step, right? Just fat finger a method and you don't find out like unless you wrote a test which yeah you should be writing a test but like say you didn't have a test that hit that one particular code path that you could not find out about this and for years theoretically you could just sit there like a time bomb in your code base like that <laughs> that scares the shit out of me because i'm not a good typist <laughs> right at least having the first compilation step fixes that to a certain extent and I like playing with the functional stuff. You know, you can do function application. They have a pipe operator. It's the pipe and then a forward angle bracket where it's like take the result of this function and pass it into the next function. So you basically, for style purposes, you'd never like build up a function of nested functions because you'd have to read from the inside out if you did nested functions. Instead, what you do is you write it as a pipeline where you have the innermost function piped to the next function, piped to the next function. And they have a really nice syntax for doing that, and it's it looks good. I approve. You said a lot of developers are moving over to Elixir. Does this mean that ThoughtBot as a company has kind of started betting on this as being the next thing that's going to help their business grow? I mean, because at some point, Rails is going to stop being Rails, right? And, and ThoughtBot became successful for jumping on Rails in its early days. Yeah, I don't, it took off. So we are always looking for the next thing, right? That's always been true. And I don't know that anyone can say for sure that Elixir, specifically Elixir, and then there's a web framework called Phoenix that is very, very Rails like in the way it works and the way it expects you to work. I don't think anyone can say for sure that Elixir and Phoenix are the next big thing. What we've liked about them is that it's close enough to Ruby and close enough to Rails that it's very, very easy for us to move developers between projects. Developers that have never touched Elixir or Phoenix before, it takes very little time for them to get acclimated to Elixir and Phoenix. And so we've really liked that. And then, and again, I don't know a whole lot about Phoenix, and I don't know a whole lot about the big problems that Rails suffers in large code bases, but... I do know that speed is an issue, right? People always talk about Rails being slow. And Elixir is the opposite of slow. Elixir is very, very fast. And because it's built on top of Erlang, it has all these crazy things in place that came along with for the ride, basically, with having Erlang as the base language. It's a self-repairing system. So you have applications Right, And you can break out applications as much as you want. And then you have, I don't remember the word for them, supervisors, I think, that sit above the applications. And those supervisors like monitor these processes. And if one goes down, it automatically like will restart. It'll smartly restart and try to bring that process back up. And then put all the connections back in place easily. So like, for example... One of the examples that the creator 
of Elixir shows in his keynote talk from the last Elixir conf, the EU version anyway. He kills Postgres under a running application, just kills the process. And the supervisor brings the Postgres back up and then reconnects it back to all the applications automatically so that like nothing actually went down, which is kind of interesting. Where in the stack do these supervisors exist? This is part of Phoenix? No, they're part of Elixir and Erlang. So the Phoenix would be a process running that could go down and you know, you'd have like a layer, an application layer up above the web app itself that would kick it back up. And it's largely baked into again, from what I understand, it's largely baked into the way the language expects to work. But it's got some, you know, I'm kind of going through the book right now. We have an internal tool written in Elixir and Phoenix for like announcements, like email announcements. So we have an internal tool for that that's written in Phoenix. And so I've been kind of playing around with that, you know, trying to do bug fixes here and there and get a handle on it. But more than anything, it's just like trying to get back to that place where I feel like I'm learning is like my constant goal. Like it's what interested me in development in the first place is why I gravitated towards it because it just seemed like this endless pit of things to learn, which is like a blessing and a curse, right? Just in general, like it's good in that like you never have to stop learning, but then obviously it's exhausting for all the reasons that we know as iOS developers where it's like, we're two weeks away from WWDC right now. Like I said, this episode will be coming out in WWDC. Like the amount of shit that we're going to have to learn, you know, around the time this episode airs is like nuts. You know what I mean? And like all of us are immediately going to be behind again. <laughs> and I barely feel like I have a grasp on last year's stuff other than like the Swift, you know, I always feel like coming out of WWDC, I need to focus on one thing. And for the past two years, my focus has been on Swift and just trying to know the language as well as I can. But that leaves holes, you know, and those holes are frustrating. I wonder why you don't have much exposure to the new features of iOS every year. Why we don't? You specifically. Yeah. yeah. Like, like what is it about the work that you're doing that you don't really get the chance to dive in and take advantage of new features in iOS 9? Stack views, layout guides. Yeah. You figure that I'm doing... Ideally, I think I'd be on four projects a year. Ideally, I'd be on four projects a year. And ideally, those four projects would be... I'd spend a quarter on a project, basically. And that project would be like a greenfield app. And it'd be controlled by us, designed by us and everything. And I think if that were always the case, I think that I would end up with more exposure to iOS 9 specific things or whatever. But that's not kind of the way things have worked out, especially like this past year. I did spend a lot of time on one Greenfield app, but again, our focus was more on Swish like making the networking stack better and then trying to, you know, fumble around with reactive cocoa. So that's kind of where that focus went. And that's really the only big greenfield project I've been on this year. The other projects have been like, I've jumped on, I don't even know how many projects for like a week or two at a time to like put out fires or trying to finish stuff up or whatever. I was on a, uh, 
watchOS app for like a week or two that ended up being, you know, let's build out a demo web server using WebSockets and an iPhone app that communicated. So like that was interesting, like using WebSocket framework. Like I don't think I'd ever done WebSockets on iOS before then. And again, then I got to play around with watchOS and just kind of felt like it was an unbelievable, miserable experience from start to finish. But again, that was, even that was like, that wasn't a greenfield thing. That was someone had written an app and I needed to go in and try to fix some bugs. But then I'm kind of like trying to say, okay, is this written this way because that's how the watch OS expects it to be written? Or is it written this way because this person did it wrong? You know? So like, I didn't come out of that feeling like I had leveled up on watch OS. And then everything else, like I said, has been jumping on the end of projects where it's more about just trying to get features out the door or middle of projects and just trying to get features out the door. Got it. So you're not all caught up in TV because you're a software consulting superhero. <laughs> right. You're just too busy to really like dive in and do anything. It's, I, <laughs> I mean, kind of. It's, it is frustrating to like, and like I can see how people can stagnate, right? Because that's how I felt. Honestly, especially over the past six months, maybe year, you know, I felt like I've stagnated to a certain extent. And I do think it's because the projects we've been working on haven't really solved new problems. They've just been solving the same problems. And that's not anyone's fault. You know what I mean? It's not ThoughtBot's fault. It's not the project's fault. The project's the project. You know, this is what it, it means to be a consultant a lot of times is just doing the work. But like I, I can understand how people that have worked on client projects or worked on at product companies for like long periods of time can just all of a sudden like not they just missed something. You know what I mean? It's like, oh wow, you're still doing this. Like this thing was deprecated like three years ago or this whole new path opened up and it's just like, yeah, well, we've been shipping. So <laughs> there hasn't been a whole lot of time to kind of do that pure educational stuff. So, I don't know. I'm taking WWDC week off. I think I said this in my episode with Jack, but I'm taking WWDC week off and I'm just staying here at my house watching TV. Not TV, watching sessions. But um, I don't want to travel. I sort of mindlessly scheduled a vacation the same week as WWDC. This will be the first one in years where I'm not really able to actively keep up. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to watch part of the keynote. Because where I'll be, it'll be starting at 8 a.m. So it's not like I'm going to miss my whole day. Mm -hmm. Do that. Hopefully just read about the State of the Union and then come back at it the following week. I think it's going to be a big year. I do too. I'm very interested to see where things go with like Swift Xcode integration. Like I have to imagine that something is going to happen. See, this is weird to talk about right now because like I said, like if this comes out on Wednesday or Thursday... It's going to be us speculating on stuff that happened two days ago. <laughs> but but I feel like there has to be some level of Swift integration happening with Xcode with all the package manager stuff. And there's so much conversation around all that stuff going right now. Are they still shooting for package manager to be ready with Swift 3? I don't know. But I thought so. But I could be wrong. I got bogged down in the Swift 3.0 capability thing. The whole... Um, Swift 3.0 won't be ABI compatible or whatever thing that everyone was flipping out about. 
I basically got to the we're not finishing generics bit and like stopped there. It's like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I, my assumption has been that it was going to be shipping with Swift 3.0, which would mean that it'd have to be in some kind of stable version fairly soon now because they already cut the 3.0 preview one release, didn't they? Yes. Or a I'm tag sure anyway. It's... They put a tag up, right? So it's not released, but they have a or they have a branch where they're working towards that first preview. It should be. It's been included in that branch that's been, I think, basically open since it's been open sourced. Yeah. Right. If you've wanted to play with Swift Package Manager, you've needed mm-hmm. these builds. Yeah. I don't know. I think aside from that, I feel like it's going to be a big year for UIKit, if only just because of the past trajectory of changes. So obviously iOS 1, big deal. iOS 4 was a pretty big change, multitasking. And then iOS 7, obviously, huge, huge churn in UIKit. And now it's been three years again. Mm -hmm. So assuming Apple plans like I think they do, it's time for that every three years big release. You think like visual refresh? I don't know about that. I just feel like maybe some things, some very old things will be deprecated. I would love that. I think more than anything, what I would love to see is stuff starting to get pulled out of the frameworks and kind of clarifying some code path stuff. One of my favorite examples is why the hell is DQ cell with identifier, with reuse identifier still not deprecated? You mean the version that doesn't take an index path? Yeah, the version that doesn't take an index path, the version that is not guaranteed to return you a cell, so you have to do the conditional check and then create the cell yourself. Why is that still there? A couple days ago, there was a question that popped up from someone, I think it was someone just playing with Xcode, that was like, which of these do I use? It was like, you want to use the four index path one because the other one could crash your app. <laughs> it's like, that's so, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, it at least it returns a proper optional cell now. Right, but the other one doesn't, right? Does the other one return a non-optional cell? Hold on, I can look this up. Yeah, the other one does return a non-optional UI table v cell because in theory, you should have had to register it either a nib or a class up yeah, front. Yeah, right, okay. So if there is no registered cell, it just throws an exception, which is fine because that's what I would want it to do anyway. Yep, cool, good. But still, yeah, I guess good that it's it's returning an optional, but I... And maybe I just don't understand when you would not want to use the four index path one. Like I haven't used the optional version since the non-optional version came out. Four years ago. Right. So yeah, seeing some of that stuff get pulled out, cleaned up would be great. I don't know. Most of the other stuff that I think would be interesting to talk about at WWDC is in the open, right? Like Swiftifying the Cocoa APIs on import. You know, like that's just happening. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. They're not going to have surprises. They're not going to have things to announce with regards to Swift. I'm, I'm sure they'll still talk about it because people don't actively follow it. Right. But any surprises they drop on us that are even tangential to Swift will have to be Xcode related. Right. 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 I hope that if they do drop surprises about Swift, it's going to be very disappointing. Right. Right. Because none of this should have been... It means they're still doing things behind closed doors. Right. Which it seems like they aren't. You know what I mean? Like, it really does feel like everything is happening in the open. So I'd be very surprised to find out that it actually isn't. But, yep. Well, we shouldn't speculate too much. 
because we're about to be super outdated. <laughs> right. Astros lost to the Diamondbacks. That's a bummer. How was Granky? Flawless. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, man. He was so good. He pitched, let's see, seven innings, four hits, 11 strikeouts. That's impressive. That's his entire line. <laughs> uh, Bumgarner went eight today. I think he had 11 strikeouts, allowed three hits, and hit a two-run home run. That's that's a pretty good NL pitcher. <laughs> yep. That's what you want. Yep. <laughs> it went walk, home run, walk, home run, walk, home run. And that was all the scoring they managed to pull off in just one awesome. inning. Awesome. Well, hopefully the rest of the AOS loses because they've all been on a winning streak. And then we'll kind of stay where we are. We'll see. Anyway, you want to call it? Yeah. Show notes for this episode are going to be found at buildphase.fm slash 95. As always, we'd like to hear from you. So email us at hosts at buildphase.fm or reach out on Twitter at buildphase. And we really appreciate ratings and reviews on iTunes. Cool. All right. Good talking to you. Talk to you later. Later.